journalist Thomas Mooney, and you are listening to episode 106 of New Slang. I hope you all had a great weekend. We start off this week by being joined by singer-songwriter Britt Taylor. I feel I came across Britt in the most 2020 of ways, and that of course is via Spotify. When you're making a playlist on there, more often than not, there's this recommended songs part at the end, and I almost always check those out, and I'm pretty sure that's where I first heard the song Waking Up Ain't Easy. And from there, it just kind of felt like it was popping up in these places that I was looking. I know it had a big spotlight on the Indigo playlist as well. At any rate, when I first heard Waking Up Ain't Easy, I knew I needed to see who exactly Brit was, and I reached out to see if she'd be on here. What I really love about the song is how Brit just captures this delicate restlessness and that melancholy mood. It warbles and moans, but in like the most fragile of ways. It's like old Patsy Cline songs. She's discontent. It's one of my favorite songs to to find here in 2020. And at the end of the week, Brit is releasing another stellar song called Wagon, so be on the lookout for that as well. During this interview, we talk about being a morning person, which if that doesn't tell you the emotional investment of Waking Up Ain't Easy, I don't know what will, and how she utilizes that space as a songwriter, co-writing songs with Dan Arbach, being another one of these super talented songwriters from Kentucky, and what she has planned for the remainder of 2020 in relation to an album and so on. I think y'all really enjoy this one. If this is your first time listening to New Slang, I strongly suggest hitting that subscribe link. If you just did, I'm giving you a virtual high five right now. New Slang is over on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and basically any and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Go check out the New Slang merch store, grab a koozie, some stickers, buttons, and magnets. Any bit helps. I'll throw a link into the show notes. And if you're into playlists, go check out Tom Mooney's Cup of Coffee and the Neon Eon playlists over on Spotify. The Neon Eon is for all your nostalgic 90s country needs, which there's going to be more Neon Eon related stuff coming your way pretty soon. And then Tom Mooney's Cup of Coffee is a regularly updated mix of new Americana and country music. It's also a really great hint at who I have coming up on the podcast. So, yeah, go follow those. All right, I think that's about it. Here is Britt Taylor. Yeah, I guess let's go ahead and start off with, you know, you released the single Waking Up Easy, or Waking Up Ain't Easy, um, (laughs) just the other day, and... The first time I heard that song, like you really capture this like gentle restlessness because it, it is very sweet and gentle, but then like there's also like this incredible um, heartbreak and just kind of like a, a, a delicate dread in that song. Um, where did that really kind of come from? Where was that? Uh, that I guess like you know the 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 title of that song from? Yeah. Um, I wrote that title down in my notes on my phone in November of 2017, I guess. Um, I was just going through a crazy hard time. I was in the midst of deciding whether I was going to leave my publishing deal and going through a divorce and the publishing deal is my only job and only money. So 
Um, I was just really stuck and didn't know what to do. My dog had just died. A car had just broke down. And typically I'm a morning person. Like I've been up since six, like grab my coffee, sit outside, walk around a little bit. And I, I love mornings. I'm like that weird, annoying person that has way too much energy as soon as she wakes up. And I remember in November of 2017, I would wake up like smiling and happy because it's just, that's just natural for me. And then I would remember um, everything that I was going through and just fall back on the pillow because I just didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to be sad. And um, for the first time in my life, like mornings just became something that just sucked. Um, and then I'd say six, seven months later, Dave Brainerd and I wrote that together. And uh, you're talking about how the music and it's like super delicate. And I love old country songs that even the old like Buck Owens songs that they sound almost happy, but they're so sad. <laughs> they're like, they're pitiful. They're so sad. And we were just talking about the stuff that we loved and, um, he, Dave loved the hook and he was like, Oh my gosh, we should do like this Willie Nelson vibe. I was like, yeah, with like Roy Orbison vibes too. <laughs> and so somehow we just tried to combine like just a ton of stuff that, that we both love with uh no boundaries nobody was saying oh you can't do that because it doesn't sell anymore you can't do that because it's dated um we just wrote something that we both were loved and and fit the the vibe of the the song and the meaning of the song yeah like the you know you mentioned mentioning the the willie nelson thing like i didn't even really think about it until now but uh the like the song last thing i needed first thing this morning um, yeah. Obviously, like that's written by Gary P. Nunn, but like the Willie Nelson version is like, you know, the iconic version. And that song has that desperation too, that just like, um, just like that, that dread. Like I keep on going back to that word because it is very much a, you know, like, like you said, if, if from what I get from it now that you're saying, you know, how much you like, how you loved mornings, there's something really, horrible about having a, a space taken away from you that like you thought was untouchable in a way. Yeah, totally. And it just goes back to when I was a kid, like I'm just a little farm girl. <laughs> I grew up on a, a mountain in East Kentucky and we always had like a lot of dogs or ponies or something running around that house. And we had a barn and my dad's a morning person. And if I didn't get up early enough I missed the trip out to the barn. And so I would just, it would just suck if I didn't get to go to the barn with my dad. So I think that that just like turned me into this morning person. And it's just something I've carried with me throughout my entire life and into my adult life. And yeah, it just sucked that I was waking up and, and did not want to get up and didn't want to go outside. And it's just really not uh, like me at all. <laughs> yeah. The, um, when I was looking through stuff, I saw like the, the American songwriter article where you, you've already mentioned it right there, but like in this quote that you have in there, uh, in the span of a year, I was jobless, divorced, had a broke down car and lost my dog. Like that really just, um, if uh, it's one of those things where if that's not a country song, you know what I mean? Like all of those things on their own are horrible, but then like, I always feel like the the worst moments in in country songs are 
when when you lose a dog and that's like the like the the you can recover on all the other things um over time but like the dogs you always remember the dogs like the most and that was like where I was like oh man that that sucks yeah and that dog he was a little English bulldog named Ollie and I'd had him since I was a kid. He'd moved to college with me. Like, I mean, he was 12 and a half. He was old. <laughs> like, they're not supposed to live that long. And uh, right when everything happened, he just started not being able to walk. And I was just like, no, not right now. You cannot even be serious right now. This cannot be happening. Because your dog's your comfort. When you're going through something crappy, like they know and they're there and they come and they lay beside you. They're so sweet or they make you laugh. And yeah, so that was awful. And then my car broke down. So my mom actually had to drive down from Kentucky and take me in her car to the vet to put my dog down. It was the worst day. It was, it sucked that whole year. (laughs) Just sucked so bad. And now looking back, like, on divorce and and the music that I got out of it. And like, I wasn't supposed to be in that relationship anyways. Like I'm so grateful. I would not take back a second, but it doesn't change the fact that at the moment I didn't know that, that it was going to be for the best. Yeah. Yeah. You, it always feels like you're like, you, you don't ever see like the end in sight. Like it doesn't, you don't ever feel like you're out of that moment. And yeah, like, totally. Is it gonna, it's never going to end. Um, you know, going back to the morning thing, is that like where you kind of, do you, do you write well in the mornings? Yeah, I do everything better in the morning. (laughs) Um, I just, I'm more creative, which I've read like books on creativity and stuff. And they all say that most of it, most creative people are not owls and we're messy and I'm messy, but I'm a clean freak. So I feel like I'm a contradiction of a creative person because I love to get up and I love to write in the morning and read and um take a walk around the yard without my shoes on it's just I love it yeah I I'm I don't know I go through through different phases like I'll sometimes I'll wake up at you know six o'clock every morning and it'll be like that for a few months or so and then like there will be months where I'm like oh I'm not waking up until 10 o'clock or something. And, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know that there's such a, a, um, just a calmness in the morning. What I always loved has been like when you kind of go like on like a family vacation or like around the holidays when you have a bunch of people in the house and when you wake up early and you start making coffee and like the entire house is kind of quiet and then like there'll be maybe one or two other people and it's uh, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's like the the best part of the day. Is just you're like totally those, right. I think that's moments. probably why I love mornings because I get my quiet time. Like nobody's up yet. You just get the, you know, a few hours to yourself, and yeah, that's definitely why I love it. I'm just like walking around my yard right now, and I live on a a little uh, farm, mini farm outside of Nashville, and it's just like so peaceful out here right now. And I know in a couple of hours, you know, the neighbors are going to start mowing their grass and the goats are going to start hollering and dogs are going to start barking. But right now it's just (laughs) beautiful. Yeah. Does, um, so like when, when you're writing on something in the morning, does it always, is it typically something that you're by yourself and then you, if it's something that becomes a collaboration or a co-write, 
that you have to take to someone later? Or have you been able to convince other people to, hey, meet me at <laughs> eight o'clock or whatever? Yeah, so I've done the Nashville co-writing thing for a long time. So what I I normally just have my schedule full up of, of co-writes with people that I love to write with. And I just get ideas. Sometimes they just pop in my head, like the Awaken of Ain't Easy title. And sometimes it's a title. Sometimes it's a whole verse. Sometimes it's a verse and a chorus or sometimes a, just a melody. And then I'll look and see who I've got in my books and just try to see who is going to like that idea the best and you know, sometimes I get to co-writes and I don't have squat for ideas. <laughs> and that's the beauty in uh, co-writes because your your co-writer always brings something to the table too, whether it's like a cool guitar lick or maybe they've got an idea they're kicking around. So it's just, I don't know, it's all of the above. And I, I love all of it. Like either way that it swings, it's always really fun. What's like your, your kind of like go-to as far as like, your setup do you are you like a pen and pad person do you have to have the laptop out what's kind of your if you had a like iPad. situations <laughs> the ipad out yeah i write everything on an ipad um or a computer but i'm not a pen and paper girl oh my gosh i don't i can't read my own handwriting it's terrible yeah <laughs> uh i always find that like my hand starts like halfway through like it just starts turning to mush and like, yeah, <laughs> then I'm, if, and I'm talking like, even if I'm just making lists or something or writing down, you know, just a couple of things I need to do. It's like halfway through the page. It's like, what is this supposed to say? And then I have to like, yeah, I don't know, reinterpret it or something. There's a, Same. Uh, I'm like, why don't I write pretty like other girls? <laughs> this song is so good and their writing is so bad. <laughs> There's the. Uh, I just saved myself the criticism. <laughs> There's this uh, Seinfeld, I guess, bit. Like, during. Are you a Seinfeld fan by chance? Yeah. Okay. So, like, you probably know this one where, like, he wakes up in the middle of the night and, like, has this, like, really funny bit or something that he had in a dream. So he writes it down on like the, on a notepad by his bed or something, goes back to sleep and like wakes up the next day and can't figure out what it says. And so <laughs> then he's like trying to like get other people to read it. And it just like, doesn't make, it's like every time you ask someone, it's something different. <laughs> oh, that's, that's how. Yeah, that would be me for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Like how long do you typically let something marinate? Like as far as the, the idea and, kind of like getting it I don't know like in in that spot before you I don't know take it to someone else or decide to call it quote-unquote finished yeah it's uh it's always seems to be different like waking up ain't easy stayed in my phone for months and I I don't really know if it's just that I couldn't bring myself to write it or I'm like that's not gonna be it's too personal it won't be relatable to people or or what, um, and sometimes if I think like this doesn't make sense, I need to make it make more make make more sense before I take it to somebody. So um, the next single that I'll be releasing, like I remember, I kept singing that around the house for at least a good three months, and I was like, man, I don't know if this makes sense. <laughs> and then finally, I couldn't figure out how to do it on my own, and I took it to to Marcus Hummond. And he was like, yeah, that makes sense, and we can do this. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm so glad I brought this idea to you. Because, I mean, people like Marcus Humman are just pros. Like, they've, they've done it for, for so long. Um, 
they just do really, they just transform your idea and it's, I always love watching that happen. Yeah. Like it, something I was talking with or something I was talking about with, with, um, another songwriter just last week was cause she was talking about, I guess like her new record, um, had so much to do with this really intense period in her life and how, um, it was like where we we entered this pandemic and it felt like everything went on a pause, but then like she couldn't really write after that point. And it was, I guess like what I was thinking about was how um, she, I, I guess she also said like there was, she saw a lot of songwriters who were writing a whole lot of stuff during, during this period. And what I was thinking about was how um, maybe like, songwriters or artists are kind of like one of two, like where this either the songwriting, the process of songwriting is the cathartic aspect and that's what helps you get over it. Or you've like processed all of it. And then like the song is like the, the, like the final step. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And again, like it just depends on what the song is and what the day is and, and who, I'm writing it with because there's a trust factor when songs are that personal too. Like mm-hmm. you don't want to, I'm not going to take something that's like crazy personal to somebody I've, I'm writing with for the first time. Um, unless they're, you know, when I get there, there's just like this great chemistry and that happens too. But yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it's a part of the the healing and sometimes I like to wait and, and get outside of the situation where I can look like really see it clearly before I start writing about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when you're in the weeds, like you, you can't see past weeds. <laughs> right, right. I feel like that's, uh, I use that analogy or like lost in the woods a lot yeah. because like that just feels like sometimes you, you do just get like stuck inside your own head. And mm-hmm. there's a, that's like the, obviously like typically yourself is like your biggest critiquer and like your biggest, uh, you know, just the, the one who thinks, oh, you just convince yourself that like, this isn't a good idea or, or something like that. And it just really, I don't know that, that entire thing, uh, yeah. is, is just a little weird. Sometimes I think I used to do that a lot when I first started writing, I would just get really stubborn about these ideas because I'd be in that sick of the the situation and like it had to be this certain way. And it's like, no, it's like you're in there with, with co-writers who are crazy talented and they're going to put their own spin on it. Like just chill out, man. And and let the song happen rather than like keeping such a chokehold that it has to be this thing because I don't know, sometimes you block yourself from, from doing some really cool stuff. So I think I probably wait a little longer now. Yeah. The, the, the co-writing thing, I think like probably what I've learned most about, I find like the, the, that entire um, thing so interesting, co-writing with, with people, bringing these ideas and all that kind of stuff and seeing what comes out of, out of that. But I, I feel like the, the biggest thing in all of that has to be just like the trust factor. You mentioned trust earlier about how, mm-hmm. you know, like how do you, uh, you're not going to take this idea to someone who, um, you've never written with or, you know what I mean? So yeah. I guess like, what do you, like, is there, 
how do you like I guess build those relationships other than the actual songwriting? Do you do you guys take do you take time before writing and like you know just have more conversation? Yeah, I think that naturally happens. Like it's you just get in there and start talking and and as friends and stuff. And sometimes ideas will pop out of that conversation. If it's somebody I've been writing with for even if it's somebody I've been writing with for years, you know, it still starts out as that that friendship of just chatting and catching up and making sure each other's all right. And um, yeah, yeah, I was because. Uh, I'm down here in Texas and like here in Texas, for some reason, they, a lot of people think of like the, the, the quote unquote national Nashville co-ride is like the, you know, these, like what's happening is what I, what I was saying was, um, they, they think of it as like, you guys have lab coats on or something and like, are trying to like <laughs> it can get like that. Yeah. I will say that it can, like when somebody else is booking your co-rides for you, it can get very like, this is a job. I have to show up and I have to do this. But I will say like not having a publishing deal because I'm a completely independent artist right now for the first time in a long time. And it is so freeing that I don't have any expectations. Like I don't have to turn in a song and then somebody like not respond or respond with, oh, okay. (laughs) I'm like not hear anything. It's just like, it's so freeing to like co-writing is more fun. Now I feel like it doesn't feel like that lab coat thing. Um, because one, I'm writing with people that I want to write with. I'm scheduling my own crap and I know that I can sound however I want to sound and nobody's going to tell me it's dated or I can't talk about it's too sad or I can't talk about being married. I can't talk about being divorced. It's not popular. You have to you know, talk about meeting the guy at the bar. And I'm like, what? I don't, I'm not 20 years old anymore. <laughs> I don't want to write that. Yeah. Like that's the, to me, that's the, there's plenty of criticism to go around as far as what's on top 40 radio. I don't think it's like, I don't think like anything is as bad as like, um, the people down here think it is. Cause I'm like, it's exactly literally the same thing happening here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, that's probably like the strangest part of it all is the, that I, that I feel like if I'm going to get on my soapbox, it's the, um, like uh, at what point <laughs> do you stop singing songs about meeting girls at bars, like, <laughs> or like partying in a field or whatever. Um, at some point, like you, you would think that like you're, you know, in your forties or in your thirties, late thirties, like that just kind of sounds strange coming from insert name here versus, you know, yeah. <laughs> it, like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. And yeah. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be negative by any means. Like there's plenty of, of young, a younger audience that like loves those songs and they want to listen to that. And that's fine. You know, um, I, when I was that age, I wrote songs like that. Like I have a whole catalog of songs for 20 year olds, but I'm not going to sing them anymore because I'm not 20 and I don't relate to those anymore. Um, and I just grew up on country music that wasn't always written for younger people. I grew up on Patty Loveless is my favorite. And she had, you know, we ain't done nothing wrong. We've just been lonely too long, uh, about an affair. And, um, she had plenty of songs about divorces and how can I help you say goodbye? It was about a divorce and her dying mother. And I just, I loved 
sad songs, even when I was a kid and didn't even relate. Like my parents never got a divorce. They were together, but they're like, when you have a singer that can portray that emotion, it doesn't matter if you've been through it or not. Like you feel that pain. And I just, I loved sad songs. It's so weird. Sad songs make me so happy. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's, so I'm kind of infatuated with like nineties country. Uh, oh, yeah. That kind of era. And I like the other day I, I was thinking about how what I think it is, is like that's like the last time songs were like adult songs. Like you said, like Patty Love was singing about like divorce. Totally. There's a lot of songs with, from artists from that time about like real, genuine, adult, mature themes. And not like in a bad way, you know what I mean? It's not like, yeah, it's, it, it, it's very much like all those songs you listed, those were like top 10 hits, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. the, so they were popular. They were, they, there's a pop sensibility to them all, but they were also about like things that adults went through and yeah, real I, I life stuff. Mm-hmm. I, like I I've been really thinking about yeah. the Reba song. Um, what do you say in a moment like this? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that one? Mm-hmm. Um, I've been thinking about that one a lot because, like, all the stuff that's going on in the world today, like, where are those songs? Because what do you say about some of the stuff that's going on to your kids? Like, we need music about real-life stuff. Divorce is still what? It's above a 50% statistic now that you're going to get a divorce if you get married. Like, where are those songs for – I mean, they're out there. They're just not on popular radio, I guess, but – I miss those songs. <laughs> yeah, so do I. I mean, like, there's, um, I have like a, a Spotify playlist of every '90s country song that was a top ten hit uh, that I just will put on um, shuffle. And yeah, like almost all those songs are. Yeah, there's plenty of songs like "Watermelon Crawl," which are like fun, you know, party songs. But yeah. like, there's plenty of there's like a balance, I guess. My whole totally. thing is like, I have nothing against any of the, the like the bro country stuff or like the anything like yeah. that because I feel like there's a, if there's an audience for it and totally. like, I feel like my whole thing is, um, man, it's so exhausting being that guy at the gate, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> saying what is and what's not right and all that kind of stuff. I would just, oh yeah, you know, just listen to what you like. Um, totally yeah and you're right there's all kinds of of those party songs like the sammy kershaw stuff and they were so good too there was just a balance and there was a sonic balance too i feel like everything sounded differently and now it's a struggle if you sound a little different yeah now all your like this the songs that are on this record um you do have like a lot of like really I guess like callbacks to a lot of like sixties Patsy Cline and Loretta Lynn. And I feel like there's even some like muscle shows kind of that kind of version of R and B happening on this record. Um, I guess like where, where did you um, start shaping this, this record to sound like I want to want this to sound sonically like these various things. And I guess, like, where were you, did, did you go through a process like that of trying to, I guess, harness what, what was going to be the, the sonic palette of this record? Yeah, um, 
there's a re- there's a defining point for sure. I somehow when I was just at my midst end of like, do I sell my house right now and move to Colorado or back to Kentucky? Like, what am I going to do? And somehow I got to co-write with or got to go sing for Dan Arbach. Um, and if you've heard any of his stuff, it, it's like it's modern, but it's throw it's a throwback to that stuff, too. And I remember playing him some stuff that I'd written at my previous publishing deal. Like, and he was, he asked me like, well, what do you like? And I was like, well, I like, you know, Patsy Klein and Patty Loveless and Loretta Lynn and Elvis. And he was like, well, why don't you write stuff like that? And I just remember being like, well, you can't, you can't, it doesn't work. That's not, that's not how this goes. Like, it's not popular. I'll get emails back from people saying that it's dated And he was just like, no, you can do whatever you want to do. You can do anything that you want to do. And that's the first time I think anybody had ever said that. And I did never cross my mind. (laughs) And uh, I think probably because I was, you know, 23 when I signed my publishing deal. And uh, and I'd never really been through anything traumatic either. So that probably has a lot to do with it. But a few weeks later we were writing songs together and he just really encouraged me to sing the way that I was comfortable and wanted to sing and write the way that I wanted to write. And I don't think that I'd ever thought about that because I was just trying to do what I thought would make me successful and my publisher successful. Cause there's a lot weighing on you when you have a publishing deal too. It's not just your success anymore. So there's a whole different level of pressure plus, you know, you're finally getting paid to to make music, so you don't want to lose that. So there's just a different pressure, and when that's gone, I think that my eyes really, really opened up to what do I really want to do and sound like and just let all the expectations go and just take the chokehold that I had on my career away and just let it flow. Yeah, like you've, you've used that phrase or like that, just being free, feeling like, you know, it's the... Um, where you didn't have like that pressure. That's really, um, I mean, I, I, I feel like that's like what unlocks the box, I guess, you know, like that, the lack of pressure to think that you have to, uh, I don't know, uh, fulfill other people's expectations. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by the Blue Light Live and Tom's Daiquiri here in Lubbock, Texas. Like pretty much every bar and venue in the country, Blue Light 2 has been closed for much of the year due to the pandemic. What they've done, though, is adapt and evolve. And so for the foreseeable future, Tom's has curbside service. Monday through Saturday from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m., you'll be able to get your Blue Light Essentials. That's daiquiris, beer, hand sanitizer, and snacks. What you'll want to do is call up Tom's with your order at 1-806-749-5442 and then you'll run by 1806 Buddy Holly Avenue and pick up your order. It's pretty simple. I'll throw a link to the menu in the show notes. While you're at it, head over to bluelightlubbock.com, click the merch tab, and get yourself some much-needed Blue Light merch. They recently just restocked with koozies, t-shirts, and caps. My personal favorite is this new shirt that they have in cantaloupe with blue ink. I know you're asking, what color is cantaloupe? Well, it's literally like the color of like a freshly cut cantaloupe. As someone who typically wears various shades of denim, probably going to have to get this shirt for that much needed pop of color in my closet. But I digress. So to recap, call Tom's Daiquiri Monday through Saturday, 
for some curbside pickup and visit bluelightlubbock.com for some blue light merch. All right, back to the show. Yeah. Now, of course, like Dan, I say Dan like I know him uh, in person, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like Dan Arbach, you know, like Black, the Black Keys, like his solo stuff. Um, he's like, for me, like he's what I remember growing up is like listening to those Black Keys records. Um, did is there like a moment like where you? What do you have to do to like I guess maybe turn that off where you're like, that's not Dan Arbach of black keys that's just a guy I'm man with. i'll be honest i didn't know who the hell he was i never <laughs> listened to anything other than country music and I, I was like who are they taking me to meet and at that point like all my shits had been given i did not care i was like whatever i'll do anything like take me wherever it's not gonna work you know <laughs> like just completely <laughs> jaded and just like whatever and I got to the studio and there's, uh, it's like awesome and super vibey and there's Grammys on the wall. And I'm like, uh Oh, I should have Googled this guy. <laughs> and I just like had no clue. And then I had to co-write the next day and I was like, yeah, I met this guy, uh, Dan Arbuck. And he, I think he's like a big deal or something. I Googled him. He's in this band, like black keys. And they're like, dude, you're in the belly of the beast here. And I was like, what? <laughs> so then I panicked. Um, but it was a little easier cause I'd already met him without like really knowing or anything, but he's the coolest dude. And he actually, uh, gave me one of my first jobs, uh, after the publishing deal singing with, uh, D white, his artist. So I got to go on the road with D playing acoustic guitar and singing background vocals. And he's just cool, man. He's like, he's the nicest. And I'm just super grateful that we got to write all those songs together and, it just really helped me realize who I was and what I want to do and just not give a crap about anything else. Yeah. Like he's, I guess like growing up, like I, like he was always like the lead singer of the black keys. And it was like this really gritty bluesy kind of like garage rock, kind of all that stuff blended together and it just felt raw and um, just, I don't know, energetic and lively and it feels like now, if you mentioned Dan Arbach, um, a lot of people associate him too as being a producer. And um, he's really been doing a whole lot of really great stuff as of late. And I think like people would probably be surprised that, you know, he produced like the, the John Anderson record and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And, but like he, he kind of gives a, um, I don't know, like some fresh air into reviving John Anderson as a, as an artist, you know, and that's really, I mean, it's, it's, it's important and it's really cool and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. It's necessary. I feel like he takes like all the good things from all the eras (laughs) and figures out a way to make them go together and be really cool. Was there, was there anything, I don't know, like super surprising that he, that he does when he's writing. <laughs> yeah, he he lowered all the keys, and for, which I was like super thrilled with because I have a deep voice. Like, and I always say I'm a lazy singer. Like, I don't like to push too hard. I don't like to holler or yell. And I just like Patsy Cline. I like to sing deep down in the dirt. And uh, he lowered all the keys and was like, lighten up. Like, let's let's lower this key. And I had always um, when I was recording 
music with other producers and they would like raise the key, like push harder, like give it more oomph. And he's like completely opposite, which I was totally down with because I like to sing like that. <laughs> um, and I just, no one ever told me it was okay. Everybody told me the opposite. So I had been, you know, hollering and trying to raise the key and sing like Carrie Underwood. I'm not Carrie Underwood. I, I don't sing like that. Yeah. Yeah. These, uh, I can see that being on, on, on that, like being that, that being a thing, because like a lot of these songs you, um, yeah, there's, I can't think of a, of a, a Carrie Underwood moment, like as far as you know, really <laughs> totally not one. And but, I love her and mm-hmm. that she, you know, God, she's one of the best singers that there is, but I just don't, you know, it's not my style and that's okay. My, my mom always says, you don't want to sound like every other Tom, Dick and Harry in town. <laughs> you want to have some individuality. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> have you ever heard that saying? Yeah. <laughs> pretty Kentucky. I, I, guess. I love, um, like one of my favorite things is like idioms and expressions and <laughs> like all that stuff. Like, I feel like that's, um, in a lot of ways, that's like the backbone of, I think like of country music, you know, it's the, um, and like really of like American, like Americans version of English, I guess is all of those though. I guess like there's a bunch of stuff, a bunch of slang that we don't know in Australia and, and England and stuff where you hear yeah. and you're like, I can't tell if they're like angry or <laughs> I know <laughs> if I should be insulted or, <laughs> but totally. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I love, do you, uh, you, you know, you're, you mentioned you're from Kentucky. Um, do you, do you, uh, I guess like whenever you hear something back home that you're like, Oh man, I've not heard that in a song. I need to jot that one down. Oh yeah. And my mom's always saying stuff. I'm like, you just made that up. And she's like, no. And she'll figure out how to explain it to me or call a friend or yeah. Kentucky is, uh, got a lot of those little sayings. <laughs> Yeah, like, and it feels like, obviously, Kentucky's always been um, a major contributor to American music, but it feels like right now there's a a giant, I wouldn't say revival, but there's a giant, like, push of really great Kentucky artists right now. Um, yeah. What is, what is that like, knowing that, like, oh, like, there's all these people that were around where I'm from making it? Yeah, and, and they've always been my favorite artists too. Patty Loveless, Dwight Yoakam, um, Loretta Lynn. I've just so there's the I don't know if you've heard of the US 23 Highway. It runs uh, through East Kentucky, and it's pretty short. And all of those artists are from that highway, like all of them: Tyler Childers, Chris Stapleton, Loretta Lynn, Dwight Yoakam, uh, Tom T. Hall. Like the list goes on. It's it's really bizarre. Like the joke is that there has to be something in the water along that highway. And I'm from that highway too. And it's funny. Like my goal has never been, I want to be rich and famous. And it's been like, I want to be us 23 artist. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah. So growing up in Kentucky around all the, the love for country music was really special too. Cause I don't think that I would, be a country singer right now had I not grown up in East Kentucky because my family does not do music. Like they don't sing, they don't play, they don't, I don't even think my mom or dad ever listened uh, to country music. And it was just purely because I grew up in East Kentucky that I got introduced to it. Yeah. 
I always think like that's the, um, the, the level of success I want is, um, even though this probably won't happen either for me or it may happen for you. I don't know. Is the, uh, I want the, the billboard outside of town home of <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's like the, the level of, of fame, I guess, or success. I don't know. Not fame success. Success is probably better. Than yeah. Fame. So yeah, totally. Um, Cause if you get one of those, yeah, that means you're doing something right. Yeah. In, uh, I'm I from, that. I'm from Fort Stockton, which is like in the middle of West Texas, kind of down by the, the U S Mexico border. And I guess like the most famous person from there, if we have a sign, I think it's, uh, a, for a pro golfer who came from Fort Stockton. But other than that, <laughs> not much. Um, <laughs> yeah. So obviously you said, you know, they joke about there being something in the water. What do you think it is? What do you think it is about that area that really has, um, inspired a lot of y'all to become storytellers? And if you go to East Kentucky, it's, it's seriously like going back in time. It's a totally different pace of living than anywhere I've ever been. And West Virginia is a lot like that too. And I've listened to different podcasts, like why country music makes you cry. And, uh, it's a great one. Um, and I think it's kind of that thing that, you know, going through the depression and the coal mines and, um, there's, there's not a ton there. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, cause I think when you've gone through hardships, uh, music is really comforting. So I don't know if people are picking up instruments because of that or because it's really family oriented. So you've got a lot of front porch pickers, um, I'm not sure. Maybe it is in the water. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And there's just as many like crazy talented people there that, you know, could care less about any people knowing their name that are just as good as anybody on the U S 23 list that we know about. Yeah. I think a lot of what had one of, one of the things that I talk about with, with a buddy is how, um, where a lot of great storytellers um, get their stories is like where they're, they're not necessarily the, the one who went through the, who had been working like in a coal mine or like on a farm and like working these brutal hours or anything like that, but they're like adjacent. So like um, some of the best storytellers, like their, their grandfathers or their uncles were the ones who really went through like these really rough, and, uh, I guess like these really rough life experiences. And then like you as the writer are able to make that into a song or a short story or whatever the case is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, another thing I was going to, you mentioned Tom T hall. Um, so like, he's got like a Lubbock tie as far as, uh, that's where I'm live right now is Lubbock, Texas. And his, the tie is, so like Stubbs barbecue, uh, mm-hmm. originated from here. And I guess like the story, like he, he would always come through here and, um, I guess hang out with like Joe Ely and, and Terry Allen and people like that. And Stubb, who was like the, the guy who did the barbecue and, um, the live music there and all that kind of stuff. 
I guess like the story is that like Tom T. Hall was like a vegetarian and like he would, what? yeah, that's what I've heard. And that like, he would always, uh, like eat the barbecue <laughs> that was at Stubbs because he didn't want to say no. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> so I mean, or, yeah, you can't maybe, say no to Texas barbecue. Yeah. So I don't know. I've, that's what I've always heard. So <laughs> I, wow, believe, yeah. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. I don't know if it's true or not. I need to verify that, I guess. <laughs> um yeah um okay so when I was doing a lot of like my I guess my background research here I came across something that said that you were a second degree black belt <laughs> yeah I am I'm a professional ass kicker <laughs> well I guess like, that's something like I don't know like I've never I don't know if I've really ever read that on anyone's bio and it's not like on your bio <laughs> now um I guess, like, what, how did you get into that? Like, what was, how did you become a second degree black belt? Uh, so my daddy is a Shaolin master. And he started teaching me self-defense when I was four years old. And then, you know, I went through stages where I didn't want to take karate classes because it was my dad and it wasn't cool. And, um, but after that stage, I mean, I took it all through, high school and did tournaments out in Ohio. I know there's never any girls to fight. So my dad would just like stick me in sparring competitions with boys my age. <laughs> and like I had to win cause I was the instructor's daughter. Like you can't, you have no choice at that point yeah. <laughs> or you just make your dad look bad in the whole like class. Uh, but yeah, I, I love martial arts. I took modern Arnest, uh, Shaolin, um, which is Kung Fu, and what else have I taken? Jeez, Tai Chi. I loved it. I haven't taken it since I moved uh, to Nashville, I think, just because I can't. It would be hard to take it off of anybody that's not my dad, you know? It's just such a thing between the two of us, but um, he still practices. He's still a, a badass. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, let's, that's uh... – you saying like, you know, you couldn't take it from anyone other than your dad. That to me, that's like, yeah, you're learning all of these. I'm, I'm a, I'm guessing you've learning all these like really great principles and, um, obviously the self-defense aspect, but it's like sharing time with your dad. Yeah. More than totally. anything else. My dad's always got like, the best advice and he, like, he was such a dad's like a, a contradiction too. He's so, you know, a hillbilly, but he's super hippie too. And <laughs> meditates and reads all these like self, I guess they're called self-help books, but just like about your brain. And he's always taught me how important it is to meditate and to set goals and have a good attitude. And, um, I love my dad. He's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've noticed that a, a lot of songwriters read a lot of things about like you, like you kind of said, like the self-help, I feel like that's mm -hmm. a, like really ties into like the, I guess like the psyche and like the trying to like understand the human condition. How much does that help your songwriting and how much do you even, does that come into, into it? Do you feel? I don't know if it comes into my songwriting, but it definitely, um, it just comes into my life as a whole. I think it's just, it's so easy to get, depressed and down and out about the way that things are going or when things aren't going your way. But if you just take a few minutes, like I'm not a fast reader. I don't read like a billion books a year, but my dad always said two pages a day. 
Like just just get the book and read two pages a day of something positive. And that's kind of been my motto. And I tell you, if I'm super busy and I don't have that and I'm not got my hour of time in the morning where I just sit on the front porch, drink my coffee and read, I'm just not motivated. It's just hard to want to do anything. Um, But when I have my nose stuck in those books that, you know, you can do anything like you have to set your mind to it and let go of your expectations. And I think that um, when you start putting those things into action, other things in your life start to to fall into place, kind of that manifestation thing. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think like just people often like don't, I like you, you said a lot earlier in this that artists are typically messy and stuff like that. I still mm-hmm. feel like that's uh, like a, the romanticized aspect of being an artist or a writer or something. Because mm-hmm. like even like things like that, that like you're talking about like two pages a day or that hour, giving a little bit of structure, I think just makes everything fall into place so much easier. Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. Um, and also, I just think that like reading... I feel like my mom was a, a reading teacher, so I feel like there's another little soapbox is like reading just helps in um, in just like the, the little tiny ways of, you know, you're, you expand your vocabulary and stuff like that. And you it just kind of soaks in and makes you a more well-rounded person. Yeah, I don't know. definitely. Um, oh, I've been kind of talking with everyone about obviously we're going through this really strange point in all of our lives with this pandemic and everything how has that changed or um how has that changed like your I guess like your your writing routine has it been a lot more have you have you gone to like zoom calls and stuff like that or what what's that like um I've done a a few zoom writes honestly like have just slowed down on writing and at first it really bothered me like Cause I need to feel like I'm working all the time. Like I have a hard time just taking a break. Um, so I think at first I just was like, you're not working enough. What are you doing with your life? And now I'm just kind of leaning into it more. And if there's writers that are comfortable with coming out and writing on the front porch, then we've done a few of those. And if not, just giving myself the space to, to breathe and like come up with ideas and just, you know, chill. Yeah, the, I I don't know. I always feel like the, like a lot of these artists have, have, have done that. Have, it's, I guess like they've taken, they've taken like, I guess maybe a little bit of a step back to do like the, the collecting of ideas, you know, like mm-hmm. that part of the, like the, the creative process. Um, have, have you, have you, or do you do any other kind of medium painting or anything like that photography oh god no i am just like my painting is as bad as my handwriting like i can't (laughs) can't do straight lines like just messy 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 so yeah i garden that's another i love to garden i plant flowers and and i got a vegetable garden this year i did some fruit and um i have lots of animals and so that those are my two big ones. I love, uh, taking care of my little property and cutting grass and planting flowers and petting goats and dogs. And (laughs) yeah, the, see, I think like gardening is like a a form of art. Um, cause like, uh, I know like a, 
one of my friends, she lives in Austin, and her and her husband during this, like, really, like, retransformed their backyard. And it was, like, it sounds so weird to call that art, but, like, if I shared an Instagram photo, you go, oh, yeah, that, like, that's a lot nicer. <laughs> so I feel like that is, like, uh, an artistic aspect of, 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 of life. And yeah, um, totally. And yeah, I'm st- sitting here staring at my garden now and there's like, I don't know how many lilies, like too many to count. And I just love it. And and it's really cool because you can see your work come back every year. Well, depending on what type of flowers you plant, but I plant mm-hmm. a lot of um, stuff that'll come back every year. And so it's always like really cool and to see it come back and, and grow every year. Yeah. The, um, and that's, that I feel that also ties into the whole, you were talking about like, if I, if I'm, if you're not working, uh, you feel kind of like that little bit of that useless aspect. I feel Mm -hmm. like people do that in general. Um, when you have something that at the end of the day that you're able to produce to show in the form of a fruit or vegetables or whatever the case is, I feel like that's, rewarding and that feels like you're you're actually working and not doing just nothing yeah definitely I think that songwriting is so crazy because when you're you don't like a song isn't good and it's not bad and it's not anything it's just this thing that you made and somebody might like it and somebody might hate it but if you if I plant a lily and it's orange (laughs) I'm going to get an orange lily every year after that you know if I've done a good job and watered it and everything, like it's just, it will, it'll be what it is. And with music, it can get frustrating because there's no, it's not that there's no goal. I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what I, it, it's, I guess like it's so much up for debate on like what, you know what I mean? There's a lot of like middle ground. As far as yeah. it's not like a binary thing, you know. Totally. Uh, yeah. How has um, how has this like pause, like I guess affected what you've, what like your intentions of like when you were going to release a record and you know um, singles and stuff like that. Has that had an an impact on like the the release of of this upcoming record and everything? Um, for a second it did. I was going to release in May because I was doing a big hometown show and then I, I delayed it. And then I really just prayed and I meditated and just tried to figure out what felt good. And I just wanted a date and I got a date and, you know, a lot of people were like, don't release any music, wait till next year. And I'm like, I cannot wait until next year. I cannot wait another year to release this record. I just... I can't, and I, I've got this date, and I think it's the right thing to do. Um, and just trying to go off of, of gut feelings these days. And I set the date on June 5th and released it, and I'm so glad that I did. I I just I feel like, you know, it's not a super happy time in the world, and there's gonna I feel like somebody might need waking up ain't easy to know that it's okay if they're having a hard time, I feel like we judge ourselves for, for, um, for being down and out, or at least I do. I'm like, why are you being like this? <laughs> I judge myself all the time. Um, but sometimes we just need us to give ourselves permission to, to breathe and be sad. It's okay. Like, and know that it's going to pass and it's, but it's okay in the moment if you're sad. 
Right. And I feel like also, you know, this, for you, these songs are like about a, a very specific period and um, you can't hold on to that for, for so long. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like if you, when artists have a, a record that is, you know, about a very intense period in their life, they have to release it. With, there's like a, an expiration date in a way. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't want to hang on to this any longer than I have. And, you know, I'm in a different period of my life and the music's evolving. And yeah, it just, it needed to come out now. And uh, I I feel like um, I did the right thing. It's gotten way more attention than I ever imagined that it would. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm excited about the rest of it for sure. Yeah. Well, it's always weird too. Like it feels like when you're talking with an artist, uh, you're, you're talking about like the past. Um, like you're always talking about songs that are a little bit older, a record that was, you know, cut the year before or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like the, if it's, you, as an artist, you're always on to the next thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, like what is you, you said like you, you, you know, it's a changing and stuff like that. What is like your, what what are you writing about now? What are you like ex- excited about? Like what's like the last song that you were like, oh, this is this is a song idea, and I want to make this into something. What's like the the last thing that you're kind of most? Oh excited gosh, about? there's so many. Um, I don't know. I think that there there's definitely a happier vibe to the next thing because I'm I'm happier, you know, than I was when I wrote all those songs. Um, and just writing a lot about life and where I am now and writing about uh, my little place, my little farm, because I love my farm. And just like writing about the things that I love and that make me happy. And I'm just super excited to put to put that on a record, too. Yeah. Like, um, are you going to, I guess you have to go the opposite way, where like a lot of these songs are all really <laughs> like that. The, the sad songs that are that sound happy. Uh, these will have to be the other way around. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah, it's been really, really great talking with you. Man, thank you for talking with me and and letting me ramble. (laughs) Yeah, Thanks for giving New Slang a listen. Hit that subscribe button, please. Be sure to check out Britt Taylor's upcoming single, Wagon, on Friday. Check out the New Slang merch store and episode sponsor, The Blue Light Live and Tom's Daiquiri here in Lubbock, Texas. All right, I'll see you all Thursday for another episode of New Slang.